With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, guys. We're back. It's the Tennis.com podcast. A little bit of a uh, break, a little breather after the Australian Open, but um, Ed McGrogan and Steve Tigner, we are back to uh, handle all the tennis uh, happenings going on around the globe post-Oz. And uh, and we'll get to um, the men's, I think, really takeaways from Australia, in particular its champion Novak Djokovic, in a little bit. Uh, but what I wanted to lead off with is I want to start, Steve, with Fed Cup. And we don't often say that, and it, it hasn't always warranted lead billing, even when it's the one of the only games in town uh, on the tennis calendar. It really hasn't. And uh, But I, I thought this weekend was a, was a notable exception for, you know, not necessarily pri- exclusively for the competition itself, but there's a, you know, there were certainly more players either involved or not involved, I think, are worth discussing here. And uh, and I think we maybe want to start with um, with Maria Sharapova, who decided to play uh, in the, the Russia's tie against Poland on the road. The Russia wins 4-0. Um, Sharapova with the, with the tie-clinching point, uh, two of them, in fact, for singles. You, for, you remember that the doubles does not happen in Fed Cup until the fifth rubber if, if it's if it's needed. Uh, but I guess it just got me thinking that, you know, twenty fifteen Fed Cup is is reminding me in some ways of twenty fourteen Davis Cup where we're we are seeing a few more of the notable names playing and, and Sharapova stuck out. Yeah, I think it goes back to that, you know, it's that rule that the ITF has now that to play in the Olympics you have to play a certain certain number of Davis Cup or Fed Cup ties to be um to be eligible. And I've always thought that was not really a great rule, not, not a rule that really goes with t- professional tennis now, which is pretty much, you know, freedom for the players. They don't really, they don't, you know, they do what they want and, and aren't really forced into, into playing anything they don't want to play. I you know I never really thought it was great to watch somebody play something he or she didn't want to be involved in, but but then you watch, you know, you see this weekend and instantly the interest in Fed Cup is is so much higher when you have Serena, Venus, and, and Sharapova involved. It feels like, well, here's an event worth worth following. Um, there's more drama involved. You also see somebody like Sharapova. She comes off a tough loss at the Australian Open. She was she complained about having to fly all the way to, to Poland the next day. Um, and then she ends up having a great week. She wins, you know, she helps clinch, uh, the tie for Russia. She seemed from all the, all the shots and photos to have a good time, you know, enjoy being with teammates, you know, the, you saw sort of the team side of, of the sport with her and, and, you know, and, you know, that's a great way for her to, 
to come back off that loss. Um, and, you know, you watch, you watch Fed Cup in these situations, just like Davis Cup. You, you see the players, even some of the top players in different situations. You see Redwanska play with a lot more emotion. Um, yeah, she actually lost uh, two, tie, two matches in that, uh, in that tie there. And, and, um, and, and, you know, curious to see with her as we go forward how the, how the relationship with her and um, Martina Navratilova as her coach mm-hmm. continues on. Yeah, she didn't look that great. Maybe you know, there's something specific about Fed Cup. She didn't, you know, she, there was pressure on her. She, she was, you know, the, there was a big crowd, and for her in uh, in in all, both of those matches. But but I guess it, to me, it just it's it doesn't really show that that rule is the right rule, the ITF rule for mandatory play. But that um that Fed Cup, just like Davis Cup, is you know an under marketed, undervalued event. It could be you put together a big weekend like this or a week long event like this at the end of the year with all the teams you know it becomes it be, you know it becomes much more high profile if every you know if you if you can get everyone involved so so you know it, it was it was it was good in its way you know it was it was this was the most i'd watched a fed cup and i think people had talked about fed cup in the early rounds in a while yeah i mean for the most part over the many of the recent years um you know the competition has been dominated by a, a very few select teams, and I think, in part, that's because you know, for example, Italy ha- has a you know a, a really good trio of players that they can that they can trot out for singles and doubles. They obviously have you know a fantastic doubles team in particular, and but you know I think in part that's because we're we were not getting you know the top rosters from many of the other countries, and I think that. You know, in a way, definitely compromi- compromises the competition there, and and I think that's bore itself out in really the interest and attention to the events. And you know, I think we'll, I'm curious to see really, you know, where this goes from here. You know, the the caveat I put there about interest to see where Fed Cup goes is you're not going to hear a word about it for another couple months, and and um, and the uh, the final itself is you know practically next year it's it's really one of the most oddly constructed calendars there is i mean that that's in part because this competition unlike davis cup is actually only three rounds deep there's only eight that that go into the world group so you know a lot of it a lot of it i think is put upon itself by really what the itf has chosen to run the event as and you know i think that's always going to be a struggle until really somebody decides once and for all what we're going to do with or what the sport wants to do with these international team competitions because really there there has been a lot talked about but nothing has changed as of yet but you can kind of feel it i think yeah and also in this case you can see where why davis cup chose to to switch their schedule and have the first round in march it typically in the past few years it's been the same weekend which is tough for the players who who go deep at the grand slams it's, that gives them an, a chance to play, um, more of a chance to play the first round of, of Davis Cup. So we'll see. But either way, it's, it still shows that, the, that there's potential for these, these team events, big potential that's not, getting, that's not really being you know, fulfilled. Yeah, I, I think it's well said. Um, so you know, Russia's, you know, Russia wins on the road. Poland drops at home in a shutout fashion. I don't think that's really unexpected. We, you know, Russia always has 
you know, they can have Sharapova or not. They always have a, a, a pretty strong team when it comes to this. You know, if you look at the first round, uh, you know, there's actually three away teams that, that won. The biggest surprise was actually, you know, Italy losing at home to France. Italy wins actually the first two matches. Um, and like I said, this is kind of a Fed Cup dynasty. Uh, the Italians, so they end up going down in five to uh, to France, led by you know the 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 duo of Christina Modenovic and Caroline Garcia, who would you know who would have ever really thought that happening. And but the the biggest surprise, um, you know, not surprise when you look at the rosters, but you know just if you look at the scores, is Canada dropping a, a tie, love four to the Czech Republic, and. The Czechs always have a good team as well. They're another one who's really, you know, done well in Fed Cup. But, but Canada, this is, you know, to me, this is sort of a disappointment because, you know, it was who was not there, and that's Jeannie Bouchard. And I, I think I, I say that because, you know, recently we've seen um, Raonic play a lot in Davis Cup. We've seen Bouchard play a lot of Fed Cup too in recent years, and and you do really feel that sort of um, that strong little momentum for Canada tennis there, for Tennis Canada really. And we didn't see that there. Canada was basically sort of embarrassed in Quebec City. You know, none of these matches were even remotely competitive. And uh, I, I have to think our friend Mr. Tom Tebbett couldn't have been, you know, too happy with really the, the turnout and the outcome for this one. Yeah, well, Bouchard, you know, she pulled out. She said she couldn't play at the last minute. This was this was Canada's first world group tie. So that was that was a big disappointment. She's she also, um, you know, probably bigger news was she hired Victoria Azarenka's coach, who had been her, seemed to have been her coach right up until, you know, that there, there wasn't really any any breakup that I knew of. Sam Sumik, who who really helped um, push Azarenka to the top. You know, she was he was really her um, sort of mentor, not just on the court, but also seemingly in her philosophy of life like she she you know they really had a close close connection and now suddenly Bouchard she's he's working with Bouchard so, so you know we'll see where where that goes she seemed like she had she had um broken up with her own coach at the end of last year Nick Saviano she definitely was looking for somebody um I think that's you can't say that this is a bad hire you have to think that this is a good potentially long-term um coaching relationship that could that could help her you know he, he has a great track record and seems to be you know very well respected intelligent um yeah has brought you yeah. know has brought Azarenka to you know those grand slam getting over those grand slam humps also I think you know you you do look at Azarenka and Bouchard I think sort of comparable baseliners you know not a lot of spin on their forehands and um and and perhaps that's you know the, the matchup does make sense like you're saying and he also seems to be good Especially good with the mental emotional aspects. Azarenka's obviously had her had her moments, but she's gotten better over the years. She, you know, that was that's one thing that helped her progress, and I think she got a lot from from Sumik on the that end. So we'll see what he see what happens with Bouchard. Yeah, um, I think uh, you know that's, and we'll see that partnership. I think start to develop right in the uh, you know right come March in Indian Wells and uh, and Miami. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll certainly see Bouchard at those events, and you you figure you know with her experience on on hard courts, you know, someone who could expect to go deep in those two. Um, 
so you know as we and I'll just before we leave the true world group I'll I'll, I'll set the scene for April semifinals we have the Czech Republic versus France Russia getting Germany Germany beats Australia four to one in the only home victory of the whole first round you know not too unexpected when Australia you know I guess uh, it's true I guess both of them had to travel from Australia to get there so um, but the Germans hold serve everybody else is broken at home and that's the uh, that's the scene for the semis now speaking of Indian Wells and also speaking of Fed Cup you know once you dig into the playoff round of Fed Cup you see you know the US going to Argentina winning a tie there you know trying to make their way back into the into the main stage the really the bigger takeaways of that is a you have Serena you know you have Serena playing this um, you know compared to what she has said that she wants to do with this year and perhaps the rest of her playing career, trying to be a little more selective in what she plays. You know, this was, a, I think, a total shock to me that she was entered, that she decided to play this, um, you know, this really relegation tie. Yet Venus also playing, and, and, you know, similarly, you know, someone who obviously should be pretty selective themselves of, of the of the events they play, and this is coming you know off of deep runs in Australia for both of them. So, um, and Serena, you know, as we know, sort of made news, bigger news really as well by announcing that you know she would be playing Indian Wells, you know, coming up for the first time uh, since 2001, I believe. So I think there's a lot to be said about uh, Serena, just even beyond you know her recent Australian Open win. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it was a surprise to everyone that she she would come back to Indian Wells. She had talked about it last year that she um she sort of for a little while she made herself available on the entry list for the tournament for the first time and but then she decided against it. You know, she talked you know, it's such strong terms for so long about about what it meant to her to to stay away from that tournament because of what had happened. You know, I think it's great that she that she can um, you know, Either way, her decision to stay away and her decision to to come back, I think there you know there stands that can be defended and and I think it's great that she she feels like there's progress in tennis the way the way the WTA and the ITF defended her against some comments made by the Russian Fed Cup captain last year and and, and also how she feels herself about about how she she's says she's progressed and and she's different now and 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 I think it's just great for you know these are her this is really her home where she near where she grew up in in not really in the same world but at least in the same state the in southern california and, and these uh, are, yeah palm springs certainly a little different than yeah. yeah exactly but she always considered it one of her favorite tournaments which is where she beat Steffi Graf she her family could come with her and you know, I think it's great for, if nothing else, for the fans in California. There's not many, there aren't many tennis tournaments left there. There's not many chances for her, for them to see Serena. And, you know, I think that's, if nothing else, that's, that's a great, um, you know, development for, for U.S. tennis this spring. Yeah, I, and I don't, I, I think along those lines, I don't think it was terribly surprising for me to, to really hear that Venus, you know, deciding not to play to continue that stance you know whatever even if it's just electing not to play it but you know she will not be it sounds like making a return unlike Serena you know both of them were really at the center of that original flashpoint in 2000 in 2001 um you know Venus 
as as well. Um, and and kind of going back to the U.S. here, and really just thinking about where we are after you know the first really five weeks of of 2015. You know, combined with you know Madison Keys going to the semis. You know, we really didn't catch up on the podcast since you know since that point. And you know, Venus, of course, you know, back into almost the top ten now. Um, and another, you know, a number of other, I think, under, you know, well, unsung, but you know, nice results from the other, you know, U.S. women there. I think, I think overall, when you when you think of takeaways from the Aussie Open, you think of takeaways, you know, from the first part of the year. I think it's, you know, American women's tennis has probably been the strongest it's been in kind of quite a few years. Yeah, I think Madison Keys alone, you know, gives people a feeling that U.S. The, there's there is a future for U.S. tennis. We, you know, maybe we thought the same thing two years ago with Sloan Stevens. We'll see what happens with Keys. I would, I wouldn't expect her. I would expect her to not to to match those, that Australian Open result for a while. I could see her taking a few steps back before she takes another one forward. But she, you know, she from you know the fact that she's still nineteen, the fact that the sort of natural power she has and and the, she seems to be level-headed and has a new coaching situation i think that alone sort of calms people down about about american tennis and 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 maybe it's another case where where in the you know in the late 80s there was a big there was there was a lot of talk about the death of u.s tennis then suddenly there were a lot of good players you know who knows if that can be repeated but it really just takes one person somebody like keys to come along and you know everything seems to be back in order, so, so yeah, that's a good start for for her. I think she made more progress at the Australian Open than she, than she even expected. Yeah, I, I think to see we'll see. Um, I think her you know results coming up will be very um, worth worth following for that reason. I, you know, she'll be admitted. I think into quite a you know, her ranking's going to be high enough to pretty much get into any tournament she she decides to. So, you know, when we get uh, those you know more, more frequent matches against you know some of the top tier of, of the sport i think we'll have a a, a nice little cross section to, to really talk about keys there going forward um you know let's end up things with with the, with the men here and where we perhaps stand after after the australian open Re- you know really not too much has taken place you know the australian open is only a couple weeks old but but really nothing of, of significance has happened since that point and you know, really not much will until a couple more weeks when, uh, you know, a lot of the top players will be uh, heading to Dubai. And that leads effectively right into, you know, the big March swings in Indian Wells and Miami. So, you know, where where we left off with the men's side is Novak Djokovic, you know, reclaiming his throne at the Australian Open. I think also really asserting his position at the top of the game again, I, you know, not that, not that he needed to, I think it was, you know, certainly clear to me that he was the, the clear cut number one in the game, despite, you know, sort of, sort of barely, fa- you know, not, not as a big a gap in the points, but I think just, you know, from, from looking at, at his performance recently, um, you know, Djokovic, I think made a, I think a pretty important win and in Melbourne, um, Obviously, you know, there's a lot, uh, a lot we can sort of think about now of him now that he's pretty, pretty close to 10 major titles too. So, 
you know, to me, it's really the Djokovic story, and um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see who really challenges him next, whether it's Rafa or Murray or Federer or somebody else. Yeah, you know, the Australian Open Grand Slams really change everything in, in perception. Going in, I, I almost had Federer as a co-favorite with Djokovic, the way he'd played the week before in Brisbane. But now, you know, Federer loses in the in the third round, and Djokovic wins basically wins without his best tennis. I think that may be the most significant thing is only probably only Djokovic right now can can win a Grand Slam playing not you know not always really at his best can win a win a, a semifinal and a final final sets in both of them 6-0 in matches that where at a certain point you look like he might be in trouble. Um, so I think that's that's something you can say that 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 um, separates him from the rest. And now you know now I think you look at Djokovic as as the number one alone for the moment. The most interesting thing coming up, I would say, that he'll play in Dubai as well as Federer. But I think just as interesting is is seeing what Nadal can start to build on clay uh, in South America. So it's almost as if we'll be starting. It's almost as if like the season starts again, building towards the big tournaments and the Slams from here. Um, with Djokovic having obviously up till I don't know up till now, he's you know he's you know he's got the first slam and and starts the year really where we thought he would, but I feel like the year the year itself will will start building later this month. What are your just how about Murray after all this? You know, re- not necessarily because we we you know we talked a bit about on the site about his relationship with Moresmo and and I think you know certainly worthwhile but you know what do you see from him in terms of a uh a playing perspective because I think I think at various times during this tournament we were very bullish on Murray and I think by the end I think it got soured a little bit I think he ends up in a familiar position from when from maybe from two th- you know from from 2011 2012 he you know he did beat Djokovic in a couple of big finals there, but it seems like he he's the fourth of the four again. You know he's 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 brought himself up back from a lower ranking up to number four. You know he's Stan is back down, Murray's back up, but he's still. I feel like Murray plays with the assumption that he should win against somebody like Thomas Burdich the way he did in the semis, but doesn't play with that same assumption when he plays. Uh, Djokovic or Nadal is just something that I think he he hasn't had. He he can beat obviously beat Djokovic in big matches, but but he's lost eight of nine to him now. And there just gets this feel a feeling that I have that he just mentally is a little different and not as you know doesn't feel like he should beat those guys. Um, so in a way he's he's back in a familiar place. I don't you know you you see him his next his next attempt at a big attempt at a slam will be will be at Wimbledon again. But the good news is he's you know. I feel like he's in a he's in a good direction and he's where he should be now. Yeah, yeah. We will uh, we will follow him among everybody else pretty pretty closely as uh, as the year builds along as as you say there. So um, I think we'll catch up about uh, things at, at, later on this month. Um, see where see where the tours take us. They can take us any which way, and perhaps some ways we didn't. Uh, expect either so um it's an interesting month february i will say and um 
and uh, and we'll see what it brings us once we once we sort of I think drift closer to the to the second season as as you may as you put it I think it's I think it's a, a good term for it really as well so um, so until that time we will sign off here Ed McGrogan and Steve Tigner once again on the Tennis.com podcast thank you for listening once again you've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.